how do we drive that? Because we believe that we are to be living proof of a living God. That's what we stand for. That's what we unite around. Yeah, we've got our own things that we want to accomplish. There's things that we want to do. There's gifts and callings. But we unite around one thing because we believe that we need to take the gospel to this city. And to do that, we have to do that together. And so there's power when we are united. You see, when, you, when we are united, you can accomplish more together than alone. When you're united, you accomplish more together than alone. There is no person in this church that does more for this church than my wife, Jane. There's no person. And if she said the other day, she said, hey, what if I leave the church? I said, well, then I go too, you know. And she, we, we were just talking about it. She's not really, so don't worry. There's not problems or anything. We were just talking, and we were just laughing, and we were just going back and forth about it. And I said, no, no, really, God has used you, and the, there's these people. As soon as God divides that, then the work will come come to a halt. And so we need to say we're united. We do more together than we do alone. Snowflakes are one of nature's most fragile things, but just look what they can do when they stick together. An avalanche, they can create all kinds of chaos in the East Coast in the winter season. Why? Because they stuck together. Imagine what a church can do when it's united for the cause of Jesus Christ. You see, but what happens, what hinders us being united is problems. He said, what do you mean problems? Do me a favor. Would you look to your left and would you look to your right? Look forward, look behind you. Hopefully you saw some people and wherever you see people, I'm not very old, but I've learned a few things. Wherever there's people, there's problems. Not that you mean to be a problem, but wherever there's people, there's bound to be a problem. So even in the church, you say the church should be perfect. The church should be uh, the one place where we're just guarded from all of life's issues and faults and failures. No, the church is actually, we're full of messed up people. It's just, and we've got problems. We've got issues. And so what can happen in a church is we say, well, I don't want any of their problems. I don't want to deal with this. The Bible says in Proverbs, it says, by much, in, by much increase is the strength of the ox. There, but when the oxen works, there's going to be much increase. Increase of what? Increase of mess. All right. And so you say, well, well, I, I don't want to deal with any of the mess. Well, then you're not going to have a ministry. It's, it, you have to deal with the mess to get the ministry. And so when it comes to working with people, there's going to be problems. And our church isn't going to be exempt from problems, but just go into it knowing there's people here. Hey, your family is a good family, but it's not perfect, is it? My family's a good family. It's not perfect. Why? Because there's problems. Sometimes we, we hunt for that perfect church. We say, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to this church because this church, they've got the right music. They've got the right pastor. They've got the right children's program. They've got the right outreach. They've got the right Bible study. It's perfect. Please don't go there. You say, why? Because the moment you go there, it won't be perfect anymore. All right? Because wherever there are people, there are problems. But guess what? We don't get hung up on that around here. What we say is, hey, together we can accomplish more. When you're, we're united, we can accomplish more. But not only do we get hung up on problems, you know what also? I noticed in this passage, the Apostle Paul doesn't say what they were fighting about. He doesn't mention it. You say, well, the Apostle Paul's just being sensitive. He's just being kind. He's just being nice. No, the Apostle Paul, whenever there was an issue, he had no problem addressing the issue. At Corinth, there was sexual perversion going on. He had no problem diving into that and wading into that and speaking to that. He spoke out. He wrote a full letter. Matter of fact, the first one wasn't enough, so he wrote a second one. 
And not only that, in Galatians, legalism started creeping into the church. They said, hey, yeah, getting saved is good, but it's not going to really get you all, all the way. It's like the down payment for a car. Trusting Jesus Christ in your heart, that's like your down payment. You still got to make payments, but Jesus, when he died on the cross, that's just the down payments, what they were basically saying. And in the church of Galatia, they started talking about legalism, and they said, hey, if you really are saved, then you're going to go circumcision, you're going to keep the law, you're going to fast, you're going to do all this other stuff, because Jesus died on the cross, that's just the down payment. You got to keep working. The Judaizers should come in. Well, the apostle Paul, he addressed it and he called them dogs. Not like, hey, yo, dog, what's up? Not that kind of dog. It was, hey, you're a dog, which back in that time, they were scourged. They carried diseases. They weren't like your nice dog that you have at home that chases away nasty cats, all right? And uh, we hate cats here. If you're going to be a member here, you have to hate cats with me. And if that offends you, I apologize. There's the doors in another theater. Go start your own church. We hate cats, all right? And, uh, but we love dogs. We love dogs, all right? So, amen. Got some real Christians here. Man, dog lovers, amen. But I noticed, though, what the Apostle Paul didn't mention what they were fighting about. You know why? Because it didn't matter. It wasn't a big deal. And this is what brought to my mind. Our points of differences don't have to be our points of division. We don't have to agree on everything. I don't know why we come to the church and we just think, well, 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 I've got to agree 100%. Hey, listen, church, listen, listen, listen. I don't agree with myself all the time. I'm going to say stuff, and a couple years from now, I'm like, what was I thinking? I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. So don't think that, oh, man, we just have to agree 100% if this thing's going to go forward. No, no, our points of differences don't have to be our points of division. You may have one type of style of music. I may have another. You may have one preference about something. I may have another. But that doesn't have to be a point of division. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, these two ladies, we don't know what they're finding about. About, but they each had a point of difference. There was something they each wanted. Maybe one wanted to have a bike ministry to bike to LA. We don't know. Maybe the other one said, no, 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 we want to have the Krispy Kreme ministry and we can't do both at the same time. And we don't know what the issue is about. It was irrelevant, but it was calling, causing division. And you and I, that can happen in our homes, that can happen in our businesses, that can happen all over the place. My wife likes the Lakers. Pray for her. We're trying to convert her, all right? It's all about warriors around here, okay? I jumped on the bandwagon after they won, okay? Yes, all right? I totally did. Not going to lie, all right? And so understand that that, that, that that could be like, oh, no, no, our, our, our marriage is done for. No, a point of difference should not be a point of division. And we argue about these things. And we can make something that's so insignificant become huge. And the church can do it. I'm amazed at what people can say. That's, that's the hill. I'm going to die on that hill right there. Let's not. Let's not create that division. You know who wins when we divide? Satan. Because his goal is to divide. God's goal is to have us united together. Because why? Together we accomplish so much more together. There was no way we could have handled that crowd of 3,000 people without the church coming together. And even when we came together, it was still a little bit rough. But imagine if it was fewer people. When we come together, we do so much more. But you know what also happens, what hinders churches and what hinders people? It's what we like to do. And this is probably the thing that I may struggle with more than most. I can judge motives. You say, what do you mean? Judge motives. I like to guess why people did that. And that's so unhealthy. I had a friend. Let me give you an illustration. Um, I was worried. I would, when I was dating my wife in college, I was worried that this other friend, his name was James, I thought he was trying to move in on my relationship. And he was always talking to Jane, and I was just like, what's going on, man? 
And uh, I was like, give me your phone. Give me your phone. I, I literally did this. I said, give me your phone. I took his phone. I deleted her number out. I was like, you're not, you're not talking to her anymore, man. And I just got all up in his face, and I tried to scare him. I'm not that big, not that intimidating, but, man, I sucked in as much air. I stood on my, I think I wore cowboy boots or something, you know, just give me that extra two-inch lift, something to just scare this guy into staying away from Jane, all right? And uh, then a couple days later, he was talking to me. He was like, hey, Mekhi, I need your help with something. And then we walked in, and um, he said, hey, we, gotta, we just need to talk. And I was like, I'm just going to let this guy have it once for all. Like, stop talking to Jane. You've been talking to her way too much lately. I see you guys sneaking off, and I see you guys talking and planning and texting. I don't know what's going on, but it's got to stop. She's with me, okay? And he's like, it's okay. It's okay. Just calm down. And we walk into one of the, the, the modules that they had on the college campus. They open the door, and they had been planning a surprise party for my birthday. And all of a sudden, I was thinking, he's trying to move in on my relationship. He's trying to push me out. Because why? I wasn't judging his actions. I was judging his motives. Like, this is what he's really doing. And that is so damaging because here's what we do. We judge the motives, and then we state the conclusion as a fact when it's not. So we need to stop judging the motives and stating our conclusions as a fact. You can't tell me, oh, I know exactly why my spouse did that. Do you really? Oh, I know exactly why my boss did that. Do you really? We don't. We don't know the heart. We don't know the intent. We only know the action. You can judge the action, not the motive. And too often I see in churches, too often I see in families and businesses, people want to judge the motives, and we don't know the motives. We don't know. There's very few times we can genuinely see the motives. Because notice this, you can incorrectly project your motives on somebody, and it'll control the whole behavior. You say, well, my boss is a jerk. I just don't know why they're treating me like this. It's not until you understand that their wife is struggling with cancer, he's dealing with the three or four children at home, and he's having to be full-time dad and full-time mom running the company, that you finally understand, okay, that's why he was upset. I was judging that he was upset because he's just a jerk of a person. That's not it. Oh, my husband is just distant, never talks to me. Don't understand he's coming home and his boss is not keeping up with the quota. And so now he's having to make sure their team meets quota. Otherwise, that team will be disbanded and he might be out of a job. So will the other people. So he comes home just thinking about, just stressed out about how am I going to keep this thing together? And we want to pass a motive that your husband is just distant, doesn't want to talk and develop the relationship when really there's so much going on at work. It's just a rough season. We want to pass judgment on maybe a teenager and say, I know why they're rebellious, and I know why they have such an attitude. It's their rebellious friends. All their friends are little hellions. That's an old word for some of you. I don't know if you use that, but uh, I grew up old school. My mom, she would say, you know, little hellion friends. And I was like, but they're the staff kids, you know. They're not little hellions, you know. That's the pastor's kids, you know. So, uh, but, uh, and that may not be it. Because we don't know the pressure that they go through in school. We don't know that, that they're fighting to keep their testimony, fighting to say no to things that aren't going to help them. And so they're struggling with these things. And let's not be quick to pass motive. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. He said, For I know nothing by myself, yet am I hereby justified. He that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time. You say, what do you mean? You and I aren't supposed to judge before the time. Because one day, and he's speaking directly to our motives, that God's the one that'll deal with the motives. God's the one that'll judge them. 
So the next time a church member walks past you and you just think, oh, they're so mean. They're so unkind. Why are they a greeter? I do this all the time in church. Forgive me for this. I'm deaf in my right ear. People will be calling my name. They'll be screaming. They'll be waving. I'm deaf in my right ear. And so I'll just walk right past people because I can't hear. I lost my hearing in a swimming thing years and years ago. Had several operations. It's just not coming back. So people will try to talk to me or they'll see me in the mall. They'll see me around. And I'm just like oblivious to them. Matter of fact, I'll be in a conversation a few feet away. And uh, it's a... learn sign language, that kind of stuff. So you try to read lips and everything. So sometimes I won't even hear what you're saying, and I'll try to read lips, and I get it so wrong. Sometimes I'm trying to, like, guess what you're saying, and it's all wrong. And so Starbucks orders, don't text it to me. Don't tell me. I will mess it up. I'll butcher it. And so a little thing like that can cause all kinds of problems. We just think, that pastor's unfriendly. He's just a mean person. No, he can't hear you. He's got issues, and so let's just let it go. You see, together we can accomplish so much more. But not only that, together, when we're united, you can accomplish more with less. Have you ever seen a team that had all the talent, all the big names, but still didn't win the championship? Lakers. It happens all the time. You say, why? Because they weren't unified. Unity is the key. When a team comes together, that's when they go places. That's when things happen. You don't have to have as much time, as much talent when you're united. I was listening to something just awesome the other day, and it was talking about 29 dominoes. 29 dominoes. 29 dominoes can actually knock down something half the times, one and a half times their size, bigger, can knock down. So that's saying if you started with a domino, the size of, and I wrote it down because I wouldn't remember it. If you started with something that is the size of five millimeters, that's tiny, okay? It looks like the size of a tube. If you start with that size, five, and you progressively got bigger to one and a half times its size, the 29th domino would be able to knock down the Empire State Building. 29. Imagine what a church could do if 29 Christians just said, we're going to unite about something. We're going to get together with something. Imagine those are going to ride to L.A. If you just said, we're going to get united about this thing. We're in this together. We're going to be there when nobody else will. We're going to be there to lift each other up. We're going to be there to coach each other along. Because too often we've got so many critics, but very few coaches. And it's time that we start being a coach, not only to others, but then to ourselves. Anybody can criticize. Anybody can pass judgment on the accomplishments of others. But it takes a coach who will say, no, 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 you can do it. You can make it. We can do this together. That 29 domino effect, that great things can happen when people will say, I'm going to do this. We're going to get together, and we're going to do something. And great movements start with just a few people. If you're looking for a big movement, I think we get burnt out on big today. Everybody's like, it's got to be big. It's got to be huge. And I know the glamour and the glitz of being big, but there's something so awesome about being small, about being the, under, uh, the, the, the underdog, the Cinderella story, just that thing that just started from nothing. I tell our church all the time, this church started on my American Express card, $12,000, maxed it out. And I said, God, you put a burden in my heart. I don't know how it's going to happen. People just started showing up. And it's a story I will never stop telling because we've got to be reminded that great things start small. And look what God can do. Great things start when we just say, you know what? I don't have to have it all. I don't have to have a big financial backer as I go on this trip. I don't have to have anything big. I just have to have the Lord on my side. And if God is there, who can stand against us? Romans 8. 
Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's 1 John 4, 4. See, when we start understanding that when we're united, great things happen. But the moment we let division in, that's when things split. You see, the Apostle Paul, or not the Apostle Paul, Jesus Christ, one of his last prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, may they be one as we are one. He didn't pray, Father, I pray that their faith would remain. He didn't pray, Father, I pray that they would just have some love. I pray that they would have peace. I pray that they would have joy. He said, Father, may they be one as we are one. And with that prayer, it reminds me that you and I, we don't fight for unity. We guard unity because we already have it. Because the church is to be one. Church is to be united. But the moment you let somebody in who starts second guessing, and I don't claim to be perfect, but the moment you hear somebody saying, I don't like the way that happened. I don't like the way that person said that. Oh, I don't know about this pastor. He's kind of young, and I don't know if we should be listening to a young guy. Excuse me. I didn't trick you when you came. I didn't say, I'm 65. I just look really good. I didn't didn't do it. Didn't do it. All right? No. No. There are things that you just got to know going into it. But the moment you turn around and you just start talking about it, it's, it's, you're causing division. And the moment you start listening to that, that's the beginning of the end. We have to say, you know what? We guard the unity. We guard the unity. I learned a long time ago, if people will talk to you about others, they will talk to others about you. So the moment we put up with that mess, just understand when they're not with you, they're going to be talking about you. So you say, oh, this is fun. I'm just going to sit around and we're just going to blast this ex-church member. We're going to blast that ex-pastor. We're going to blast that ex-church. No, no, we're not doing that. That's crap. We're not going to put up with it. We're not going to do it. So we got to say, you know, we're united. We believe that God has a plan. God has a purpose. We're just focused on that. That's it. Eyes on the prize. Uh, Justin, the next week, he's got his focus on one thing. Not, hey, how many pictures can I get in front of the state signs? How many famous people can I meet on the way? It's, no, how fast can I get this bike, baby Grace, all the way to the East Coast? How fast can I pedal? How fast can I move my legs? How fast can I get there? Oh, there's a tornado. Okay, i got to move faster. And he's just staying motivated, just trying to stay ahead of it. What's going to keep you and I motivated? You see, too often we just want to sit and just wallow and just kind of pick things apart. Instead of saying, wait a minute, this isn't helping the unity. Because the church can't go forward if we're just going to stop and camp and complain. And a lot of people, that's what they like to do. Don't let your growth group turn into something you just camp and complain. I know we got visitors here. I know we got guests. But I just got to deal with something for a little bit. The moment we just say our growth group just turns into we just blast some extra church, don't do it. The moment we just camp out and we just say, hey, we're going to blast so-and-so, don't do it. Because that's where Satan comes in. He just says, excellent. I got my foot in the door in this church. I will shut this thing down before it even gets off the ground. And if you don't think we've got an enemy, the enemy is not the rent. The enemy is not do we have enough money to pay bills. The enemy is not do we have enough people. The enemy is not do we not have a good enough band. The enemy is not do we have an old enough pastor. The enemy is the devil. The enemy is Satan. And he says, I hate the church. But God said in Matthew 18 that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So you and I say, we stand here united. United we stand, divided we fall, you mess with one, you mess with all, needs to be our new motto. Just needs to come together, all right? Or we just say, hey, this is just who we are. If you're a part of Southridge, I don't know, we all get tattoos, I don't know. I'm not endorsing that, but I'm just saying, you know, I mean, just run it by me first if you're going to do it, okay, all right? Big ones on our faces, so everybody sees it. We walk through the mall, okay, real nice, all right? You guys go first, I'll follow, okay? Good leadership. 
So when we move forward, we got to preserve that unity. Let's not let anything creep in. Let's not let anything detour us. I know we got to move, church. I'm sorry. We've got guests here. We need to get you out and uh, get you going. Last point, you accomplish more with less. Lastly, you accomplish more with God than without. Zechariah 4, 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. You see, when we work in tandem with God, not against him, but with him, great things happen. Hey, it doesn't make any sense that David could slay a giant. That makes no sense. You can't look at the scripture and say, oh, yeah, David just cunning and skillful, and he just did that. No, he worked together with God. And it, it, it's impossible for Moses to think that he could lead that nation by himself. No, he did that with God. It's impossible to think that Elijah, with a wet altar, was able to call down fire from heaven on his own. He did that in conjunction with the Spirit, in conjunction with what God had for him. It is impossible to think that a lad with just a few loaves and a few fishes, he was able to feed an army of 5,000 people. It's impossible. He did that in conjunction with God. You may be sitting here and say, I'm not much, I don't have much. That's not the point. The point is, you and God is the majority. You and God, great things happen. When you will say, God, you've given me a burden, you've given me a passion, great things are coming, great things will happen. The only reason I really felt led to be a part of what Justin is doing is because I believe that more than anything, not so much that he's just a great guy, but he believes in a great God. That he just believes that God can do the impossible. And we just need a few people that are crazy enough, foolhardy enough, to just believe that their God still can and still wants to. And he's willing to bet the farm. He's willing to go all out. And I'm just thinking, I want to be around people like that. People around with reckless faith. People that said, I'll step out. It's one thing to sit in a padded, comfortable, air-conditioned theater and hear a good message. It's another thing to say, I'm going to go pedal 3,000 miles to raise awareness to bring change to our world. I know many of you, you say, I, I don't have a bike. I, don't, I can't do that. The point of his whole nonprofit is what can you do? What do you have? David just had a slingshot and a couple rocks. Moses, he just had a rod. That lad just had a little bit of food. The point is using what you have. Or do you just want to go to the grave one day, had it all, used it all, lost it all? You can't take it with you. And so often we've got so many people that they just go through their life and they look back on the coulda, shoulda, woulda. Instead of saying, hey, this was my moment. That was my time. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed the next day. We're guaranteed right now, this moment. What are we doing this time that God's given us? You see, when we partner together, great things can happen. But partnering together is not enough. We've got to do something. Let us not be a church full of people that applaud the doers. Let us be a church full of people that say, I'm going to applaud that, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a part of that. Hey, there's nothing supernatural about Justin. You may think he's part half human, part cyborg, but you know, he's, he's just a normal guy. Just like you, just like me. That believes that God has given him a high calling. And he's going after it. Hey church, what about you? Hey guest, friend, 
welcome, but what about you? What are you going to do? To what extent will you take the gospel? To what extent will you cause change? Because together with God, incredible things can happen. Let's all stand.